0: wait another moment to start your learning journey with Masterclass. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Liz. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Liz. Masterclass.com slash Liz. Well, welcome back, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. You are not going to be disappointed today, for sure. You've heard the expression, tough act to follow, right? So, for example, in broadcasting, my world, when a long-time, super popular anchor steps down, moves on, or retires, it's it's kind of a known thing that their replacement, their first replacement, usually doesn't last long or fails, often through no fault of their own. I mean, think Anne Curry replacing Katie Couric. And by the way... Let me just reveal this. I was Ann Curry's intern and driver at Channel 2 News when she was in local news, and I'm a huge fan. But, you know, it did not go well for her. And for those of you of a certain age, Dan Rather stepping into Walter Cronkite's chair for CBS Evening News. From a ratings viewership approval standpoint, neither reached anywhere near the heights of their predecessors. It's hard. In the entertainment world, forget it. Replacing a star is even harder. The scrutiny, the critics. I mean, remember when Steve Perry, the lead singer of Journey, with that iconic high octave voice and millions of fans around the world, left the band 1998 after a crippling hip injury. I mean, no one in their right mind would try to replace someone like that. You may as well feed yourself to the lions. Despite severe anxiety and nerves, my guest today decided he was going to be the guy to walk right into the Coliseum, face the lions, and yes, tame them by using one weapon, his voice. One problem, he was a maintenance man at the Gap, and the last time he really sang outside of the shower was a year earlier in a band very few had heard of. But Steve Ogieri mustered up the guts and courage and did what very few people on planet Earth might do, but quite frankly, should. He stood up, he auditioned, and he won the spot as lead singer of one of the biggest supergroups on Earth, Journey. Steve Ogieri is my guest today. Steve, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz.
1: Well, Liz, um, thank you so much for a beautiful you know, send up and and build up, hey, everybody, how you all doing? My name is Steve. I'm coming to you from Staten Island, New York.
0: I mean, am I right? No one in their right mind would do the old tough act to follow
1: honestly, and uh just to, to it's a very long story to put it mildly. I had a couple of people in my corner um that um that believed in me more than i believed in myself Mm. and it's as simple as that it was a brother-in-law and a dear friend and uh i could get into that one one uh put up the money for me to fly to california and the other one after asking me to put a a tape together to send off to the guys in journey after a week went by and i they called me and they said where well where's the music where's the tape and i i told them that i thought they were crazy and it was it was a bad idea, and thank you for you know. <laughs> but it's, it's it's not in the stars. So they put this tape together and they sent it off to to Neil uh, and put it in his hand. And Neil, and of they, course, Mr. The, Neil Sean, yeah, the driver behind Journey, right? Sure, guitarist, phenomenal melodic guitarist uh, that everybody loves. Well, so this they,
0: is fascinating to me, yeah, and and really we'll melodic. get deeper into the progression of how this all came to pass. But see, now I didn't know that. They called, asked, and you said, this is stupid. I, I'm not going to do it. Because, you know, a lot of very successful people in life have needed what you got. And that is people around you saying, oh, screw it. If you're not going to do it, I'm going to help you do it. That I want to get deeper into that, that's really interesting to me because this is truly one of the best stories ever because it checks so many boxes, Steve. It's amazing, it's nerve-wracking, it's thrilling, it's gut-churning, and it's got a local hero at the center of it. So you grew up in in Brooklyn. When did you
1: realize you could really sing? Well, um, as a child, I kind of gravitated, after seeing The Beatles, I might have been as young as five years old or so, Um, and myself and probably half the country (laughs) so inspired to, you know, to tug on their mom and dad's, you know, dress or, or pants and say, daddy, buy me, mommy, buy me a guitar or a a drum set. I want to do that. Mm. And that's exactly what I I wanted to do. Of course, I'm five years old and then I ran back to, you know, my Tinker Toys or whatever we were playing back, (laughs) back then, my baseball meta, or, you know, Um, but the years went by, and at age 15, um, you know, I, I made a conscious decision that I was going to go for it. But in between that, you know, my dad, there was music always at the, that's always the case. There's always music in the household. Dad was, my dad and my uncle were probably the only two Italian-Americans listening to country western music <laughs> in Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> I mean, it, and I and I attribute to my, my wonderful uncle who bought me my first guitar, $15 in the Sears book catalog. Uh, he was in World War II and he went to and from Europe, um, bringing supplies back and forth to the troops. And in a, in a crap game, he won a guitar. And inside the guitar case was a Hank Williams songbook. Oh, and country. So fast forward many years later, he's had a son of his own, and I'm his nephew. Uh, every Sunday we would gather around in his living room. He would take out his guitar that he won in the crap game, and he'd. We'd get our uh, fifteen dollar Sears Roebuck catalog guitars, and he'd put he'd slap a bottle of whiskey on the table, <laughs> and he'd proceed to drink and go through the songbook. So we'd went, We'd learn Jambalaya, and we'd lo- learn, cheating your cheating heart, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so after the Beatles, it was Hank Williams, and again, as strange as that seems, country western was not. Everybody was listening to let's Put it this way: uh, Edie Gourmet, Stephen Edie, oh, and sure. they were listening to Frank Sinatra. Frank, you know, yeah, and of course, you know, and growing up Italian in in Brooklyn, those are you know uh, next to the Pope. You have the, uh, the velvet <laughs> painting of Frank Sinatra. Right? Stop! <laughs> no, it's, you're killing. That's, me. I mean, that's beautiful. You know, that was you know beautiful little um, memories from childhood. You know, sure, from the sure. Of it yeah
0: that that is just i mean i can see that i can see your living room with everybody around sort of picking through the strings and and finding their way and self-teaching in a way it sounds like
1: yeah it was only three chords which was perfect because rock and roll uh you know majority of the great rock and roll songs were only three chords and uh you know we were only let's see we were six or seven at the time and we can you know we were learning as we went and uh and he was the he was the catalyst he was mm. he was there at the beginning. He started this progression that went on to uh going to grammar school again in um in New York city we had wonderful uh, musical programs and there was money and funding in the arts and uh they put clarinets and they put recorders and and things like that in uh in our hands mm. um from the recorder, went to a clarinet and saxophone them as soon. And there was a wonderful teacher in PS 48 in Bensonhurst. His name was Frederick Torre Grossa. And he saw a spark in a kid and a little, uh, you know, uh, you know, just a possibility in a young child. And he oh. taught me how to sing phonetically, how to sing Puccini's, uh, aria, uh, La Donne Mobile. And he thrust me onto a stage, uh, in fifth grade assembly. You know, and I, and he accompanied me on piano, and uh, it was from there that I guess it really kind of started my little mini career, my amateur career in singing.
0: Oh my gosh, this is important because a lot of people say, "Oh, there was that one teacher who believed in me." and And uh, you're also touching something that's very, very important in my heart, and that is teaching music in public schools. We can't let that go. And it's often yeah. the first to go when it comes to budget cuts.
1: Well, like when they say the same uh, is true about sports. If you have a well-rounded curriculum, mm-hmm. you know, just you walk, you grow up a well-rounded person. I can only, it, it just, you know, one kind of feeds off the other. And if, if you, you know, uh, activate your creativity on the left side of your brain, the right side of your brain, uh, you know, yes. follows and vice versa, perhaps. Tell me about your first band. How old were you? Oh, we oh, so in the same grammar school, uh, there was a snare drum involved. Um, <laughs> there was uh, two notes on a guitar, and the song was called Busted Bad. It was, you know, a couple of kids trying to emulate uh, their uh, their early heroes, the Beatles, perhaps. And, um, yeah, it was with uh, Michael D'Angelo and Paul Clemente. I remember the fellas.
0: Oh, good buddies. So... Uh, elementary school, still, oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, and then on you know, then we we, we graduated uh, on to middle school, you know uh, shallow junior high school uh, two twenty seven and um, you know kid uh, i there was a music program, and uh, that's where I started playing saxophone and and i and I uh, caught the eye and attention of another great uh, educator, his name was Ron Schaefer, and he has a wonderful camp. By the name of frenchwood's festival of the performing arts and ron uh, took a handful of us kids and uh we worked at his summer camp first as as uh students we'd get um uh we would get a free ride to go to camp and then as soon as we were old enough to work we worked in the kitchen and we worked in the laundry and in the last year i was with them i i started something called a rock shop and you guys are probably familiar with uh school of rock the oh, yeah. wonderful movie that by the way was filmed here in staten island that's right if you know that and um and that was kind of uh before it's time we we were doing that back then and i was taking care of kids six to 16 and if you've ever worked with kids uh now i'm I'm a child myself i'm 18 and i'm working with with kids from six to 16 all day long not ready for it mentally i almost had a nervous breakdown i think they found me (laughs) I was old enough to drink, and I think I stole someone's car, and I drove into the town. They found me at the bar, drinking a couple of beers, because it was rough. <laughs> I didn't have my parents' skills together, just quite. L- yet. Let me
0: tell you, it's rough at thirty-five too. Um, okay, Honestly, been course. there. All right. So, it, so as the progression of your music life and your music career goes on, you got as far as being, as I understand, a part of the
1: opening act for Ted Nugent, but they kept you hidden. So this was an early chance and they needed someone to sing their high harmonies, their high high vocals. And back in the day, hard rock bands or heavy metal bands, you didn't have a background vocalist sitting on the side or standing on the side shaking his, you know, moneymaker. So uh, you just put them, and, and nowadays it's on a hard drive, you know, it's on a computer, but back in the day they would bring you behind the amplifiers and you'd sing. And nobody was the wiser and and and, and, it, and it it happened all the time, mm-hmm. and there was nothing wrong with it. It just looked weird if you were on stage with these guys, so I would be behind stacks of amplifiers and I would be in a hallway or I'd be in a you know just, i don't know storage room or something like that <laughs> um, and here, here's the beauty part of it um so we were we were in about a month or so into this tour, and uh Ted Nugent picks us up and and we're in the middle of a set uh, this is michael schenker by the way who played with you oh ufo
0: british oh my Absolutely. god loved him
1: yeah. oh, one of the greatest guitar players if you've if you know of him you know he's just yeah, 100% down. yeah so uh, so i hear uh, so i'm behind these stacks of amps and there's a big curtain as well and we're in an arena and i i have feel this presence and i think someone's behind me and he's actually looming over me. I turn around, and it, of course, it's Ted, Ted mm-hmm. Nugent, mm-hmm. and he is, he's got to be a, a foot and a half taller than I, um, and he just puts his hand on my shoulder, pats me on the back, and he says, Steve, someday that's going to be you. Don't worry. You're going to be on the other side of the curtains oh. and the other side of the amplifiers, oh. and you must understand how important that, that was to me to get that little You know, boost of confidence and things like that stay with you. And when you, you know, when you're when things are down and things get a little dark, remember Ted, or remember Mr. Terry Grosser, who you know, who put you up there in in grammar school, and and on and on and on. And who believed in you. Thank you, Ted. And to this day, thank you, Ted.
0: Oh, amazing. We like our listeners to really understand, though, that it's rarely. Steve, a straight path to the top. You ended up cutting an album in the early 90s with a band called Tall Stories, right, which was a traditional, very hard rock band. But for those of you who were around in the 90s, 1991, just as you were about to release it, grunge rock takes off like wildfire. I mean, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, that derailed
1: you temporarily, right? Yeah, yeah, that was interesting. Uh, so, long story short, we were a little different, and had our record got shelved a year before it was actually released. And I think if we just had that one year earlier, it mm. would have made the world a difference. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, perhaps. Um, but as it turned out, our record told stories, was released on the exact same label and release day as Pearl Jam. Oh, enough said. Okay, so between Nirvana and Pearl Jam, the writing was on the wall and thing, you know, we just fell by the wayside, and it's just the way it goes. Where does maintenance man for the gap start to come in? so when when push games came to shove, I had a child and a and a wife, my wife Lydia, and my son Adam. And I had to put uh, I had to put a meals. I had to put food on the table and a roof over our head. And so it was time for Steve to grow up. and, you know, be a responsible adult and a responsible human being. So I did exactly that. Uh, uh, My relative, uh, my cousin Val, who was high up in their uh, administration, she brought me in and uh, I was, you know, uh, I remember my first day, I was on Fifth Avenue on a ladder uh, during rush hour in the morning, uh, hanging a sign or repairing a sign. And I was thinking to myself, Jesus, this is where I am, this is where This is, uh, however, I was, I enjoyed every moment of it. I was back on the subway. I was, you know, there was, there was life. If you ever, if anybody's listening to this outside of New York city, the city is just electric. Mm. It's alive. And I felt alive again being around all these people. It wasn't with a stage on a stage and it wasn't with a microphone. <laughs> it was up in a ladder surrounded by masses of people going to and from work. So
0: you're fixing light bulbs. You're tinkering with it. whatever. I'm needs. loving it. Loving, loving it. I'm taking it. I'm the gap. It.
1: Gap stores. Right. 30 stores. They had uh, two or three managers. I was one of three. And uh, each day we'd go to one store from one store to the next and the next and the next. And they said, well, you know, I need a new light bulb here or, or I need a new toilet bowl seat here. And I need you to paint this here. And, you know, it was always something different. And there was a new store every day and you dealt with new managers and new, you know, it was, it was just a change of pace, a welcome change of pace. Please. Sounds crazy, but it's true. This is Everyone
0: Talks to Liz, and we will be right back.
2: That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services.
0: You're a guy who, who had loved singing, but made peace with the fact that the dream of rocking out on the big stage probably wouldn't be happening in this life. And out of the blue, you get a call.
1: Who was it? And what did they say? So I received a phone call from, uh, and I don't ever recall which was, it was either Jonathan Cain, key, the their piano player, or Neil Sean, the guitarist. However, they called back to back and each conversation, I kind of kept it in check because I thought somebody was pranking me. I thought, this is not for real. You know, somebody's having a great gag. What a great gag, right? Right, right. So I, after I hung up with, Second phone call, one of the two gentlemen. Um, I got, received the third phone call from the fella who made it all happen, Joe Cefalu from from Brooklyn, New York, an amazing guitar player in his own right. Um, he said, "Steve, sit down because I've got to tell you something." He said, uh, "I've y- your life is about to change, as we know it. <sighs> You're going to put together." Well, by the way, um, I think this is after. I'm not sure if if the tape came before or after. Must have come before. So they wanted me to come out and, and uh, audition, and uh, he said, uh, "Just take a minute, prepare yourself. Your life. You can say goodbye to your old life. Your new life is going to happen." Oh my God! So uh, I begged John and and Neil to give me two two weeks to prepare. And they said. Well, I hadn't sang in a year and there's no voice. It's like a, it's like a runner or Olympia, uh, you know, weightlifter. He loses all his atrophy. It's there's no muscle there anymore. So they agreed to that. And, uh, for two weeks I worked hard and I tried to muster up the sound. I mean, it was, it was weak at best, but I get to California. I get to the Bay area, beautiful, uh, up, up in Marin County. And um, for five days, I recorded five journey hits, massive hits. And then per day, also a brand new song. So we recorded 10 songs in five days. Mm. And the first day was pretty rocky. I'm going to be honest with you. It was okay. shaky. At However, by the fifth day, and I'm thinking, they're thinking, oh, this, is, this was a bad idea. This, did, this is not going to work out. <laughs> but, but by the fifth day, things fell into place. The gears, you know, clicked everything kind of clicked and fell into place and the voice appeared that i had always had before (gasps) thank god and um, and so that's how it kind of came to be and i remember walking i had one foot out the door at the studio and i remember this and i and i and i turned around i said hey listen guys this is true i just want to let you know something you've If this never happens if I don't if I don't pass the audition the one thing I could tell you is this you've given me the joy of singing back and I'm gonna go back home and I'm gonna and I'm gonna resurrect what little career I had and I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna do this again this is what I'm thank you for that as well as I'm gonna have a great story to tell my grandchildren amen yes so I said, however, there is one little itty bitty thing I, I, I wonder if you could let me do. I said, there's one song that is very special to me. Uh, and now this is a gambler throwing the dice. And he could now, right? He's, he's standing there amongst all these chips. Because right, you right? had just done pretty well. Right. And I'm throwing I'm, I could I'm about to throw it all away. I said, can I please just sing open arms? Mm. And it could have uh, certainly absolutely could have went one way or the other. And I think that may have clinched it because <sighs> I think that was pretty much the what did it for me. It put, put me over the edge. And so I'm not a gambling man, never have been. And that was the one gamble that sort of paid off, I suppose.
0: You got, Listen, sometimes it's as if you only have one opportunity to make a great first impression. And that was your shot. And you figured... Damn, let me just throw caution to the wind and do it. Well, that was it. So y- y- they want you, but it's not 1,000%. You, you know, you're still kind of in that phase of let's try this guy out. And they decided to have, as I understand it, a friends and family concert, June 9th, 1998, Marin Veterans Memorial Stadium in San Rafael, California. And you step on the stage as the lead singer of Journey replacing Steve Perry. What is going through
1: your mind before you walked out into the lights? So here we are in a historical building, possibly going to make some history. And uh, I'm backstage and I'm a, well, a wreck. Yeah, the nerves are there. (laughs) And uh, so I have to say, I got a little nervous and there was a, there was a, 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 Garbage receptacle. And I happened to, you know, um, I think they say up up Chuck Norris. You yacked? I yacked. (laughs) Ever so briefly. (laughs) It wasn't, it was nothing. It was, you know, it was a minor yak. But you were nervous as hell. But I yacked nonetheless. (laughs) And I got my nerve and I shook it off, brushed my teeth. And I went on stage for the first song. And I'm into 20 seconds into separate ways. And about 20 rows out, I lock eyes with my wife, Lydia, and my son, Adam. And that's when the waterworks start oh. happening. So I'm in the middle of the first or two, one or two lines into the song. And this I can't forget because it was, a, it was, it was such a joy and a happiness that I'm, I'm looking at them, looking at me, thinking, is this really happening? And uh, that was, you know, that's better than the Yak story.
0: Well, let me just say, I listened to that concert. I went online and it's there. Everybody should listen because, oh, my God, think about that. You're standing up on stage in America about to take over for a guy who was hugely globally popular. In, In fact, so... I noted one of the comments he made to the crowd, and it was so sweet, Steve. He said, bear with me, you know I'm a little nervous, which I thought was was really touching. But then, my favorite Journey song is Lights. Well, there are two of them, but I really like Lights. You know, when the lights go down in the city. I was amazed at how good you were. It wasn't like I was listening to a Steve Perry imitator. It was similar, but... You gave me chills when you sang Open Arms. It was pitch perfect, especially that line, so here I am with open arms. You had a little growl, which I love, that wasn't Steve perry
1: You know, which I thank, by the way, thank you. Um, if you go out there and be as genuine and true to yourself, that's when, that's when you're going to reach your full potential. And, and your audience will not only appreciate it, they'll, they'll uh, react to it. Mm-hmm. They'll, you know, they'll connect more. If you are going to be true to yourself, you're going to break through barriers that you would have never broken through before. Because, um, because the finest, uh, the finest singers that I've loved have always been a little different. And people, you know, if you go out there and just sound like Steve Perry... Well, then, there's a lot of guys out there that could sound like Steve, and they are wonderful singers, and they can sing me probably around the table and under the table and all that. Uh, But um, you're never going to be as happy and content unless you're yourself. And that took a while to learn, but I did learn it during my my years with Journey. And it Mm -hmm. paid off.
0: Absolutely. Uh, And then the song Remember
1: Me, that range that's required of
0: that song— it's really hard to maintain that range, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and I know where this is going because, <laughs> yeah, as a young man, it's funny, I you used to go out, I used to go out and sing once a week. And uh I'd give it 300% and some from beginning to end of the night, by the end of the night. And and, and I I used to Consider it uh, uh, like a scrapper and a brawler. I'd go out there, and I just blaze. And by the end of the night, there was no voice left. It was, you can hardly speak. But you'd repair it. You'd have seven days, six days to repair it, and go out and do it the next Saturday night. You know. So when I when it came time to sing with, you know, world class band like Journey, you have to be professional. So I I went from the minors, you know, in in sixty seconds they. Threw me into the, the deep end of, of the pool. And I had to learn how to sing like a professional. So, uh, like again, like I said, I also saw a wonderful teacher in, in Hollywood by the name of Joel Hewing. And he really was a master. And he taught me, uh, gave me my first most important lessons to get from that amateur to professional. And uh, because there's no way to sustain five nights a week, no way, an hour, no way, an and a half a night. And so, however, that youthful high voice, clear as a bell, as the years progress and go by, you get a little bit grainy and a little bit more gritty, and it gets a little bit more, it takes a little more extra time to warm up the voice and get it to where it's supposed to be.
0: I know, you know, I don't know if you saw the documentary, the two-hour Showtime documentary on the Eagles, but there is a scene in there where Randy Meisner, who wrote and sang Take It to the Limit, decides he doesn't want to get up on stage at a certain concert and do it because he was worried he couldn't hit
1: the high note anymore. You probably could relate, right? So after years and years of doing this, it's a, it turns out to be, a, it becomes a psychological, um, it gets a little dark. And if you don't know how to uh, amuse yourself, you know mm-hmm. thank god for a bicycle that i bought along the way and i brought along each and every tour um that kept my my head together but it gets a little uh, it gets a little rough out there because you're alone you leave your family behind that that was a sacrifice because you don't get those hours and days and years back mm-hmm. <clears throat> when did you realize
0: that your vocal cords were starting to give out, fray,
1: whatever you want to call it? Well, there's the usual the usual uh, wear and tear that's expected. And what we should have done was been a little more conscious of it. Me, personally, I should have opened my mouth and put my foot down more times than I didn't. But I was the new kid in the band, and I was, you know, it, it just, no matter if and when I did speak up, it was, it was just not heard mm-hmm. to be frank with you, to be honest with you. Um, so, uh, it started to, uh, just build up a long time. You know, you just started, start digging yourself into a hole, uh, without having the a, a little a day or two more to recover. And then one year, uh, and as this is as rough as it got, we, um, we did a show in, in uh, New Mexico. And uh, I picked up some kind of bug, some kind of virus. When I went home, uh, I found myself... Uh, well, my wife reminded me today that we were a block away from a hospital and I was waiting for her to bring the groceries out. And she remembered I called her and said, Honey, I'm going to drive over to the emergency room. I think I'm having a heart attack. And I I literally... Drove as slowly as I could because I didn't want to pass out or, you know, mm-hmm. you know, put a couple of dents in a few cars here and there at the very least. And I drove myself to the emergency room and I, and I told them, I, I think I'm having a heart attack. And they, they hooked me up to all this wires and this and that and the other thing. My wife ran over and she noticed that I had a fever. And so, long you know, I, I, I don't like to go down this road, this negative trip, this story, but I'm going to tell it to you. You could either cut it out or not. No, but, go for uh, it. it. It appears I had contracted some kind of uh, very rare pneumonia. Uh, it was some kind of, Coxsackie Sure, Cox-Sack-y virus. Something along that line. Right. But but it was some kind of very again a very extremely rare germ. Okay, and they they weren't aware of this at the time. So um, so they pound me. And then one morning I try to get up out of bed and I can't move. I mean, I'm literally paralyzed. And I'm thinking, uh, it, I mean, WTH, <laughs> what has happened? And uh, I'm I'm literally paralyzed. And we're supposed to go to Chile for the very first time in a couple of days. And I'm on the phone with the guys. I'm saying, listen, not only can I not st- I can't get out of bed. Forget about singing. I can't get out of bed. But that was the beginning of something that's actually stayed with me. It's a kind of a chronic to this day. You know, my neck, the ankle will go out. The knee will go out. Uh, the shoulders will go out. So it's, it affects the ligaments. It's weakened the ligaments. And so I think twice before I pick up, uh, you know, a suitcase, when I, on my way out the door.
0: Let I alone can't... jump around on a on a stage like you still see Mick yeah, Jagger, yeah. Oh, God Roger bless. Daltrey, people like yeah. that, still up there doing it. Tell How us about Mick. Come on. Oh, I know. Here.
1: I I know. I know. He's a, he's amazing, fabulous. All of them. It's.
0: I mean, I I always say eighty is the new forty.
1: You know. <laughs> it really it, is. Well, I don't know about that, but I can definitely tell you. It's 20, 10 years. Yeah. I mean, I'm 64. I could, I don't feel so terrible, even with these, you know, these joint issues. But, but I got over it. However, it was the beginning of the end. It's things started spiraling Mm -hmm. after that. Because once your body, your health is uh, uh, compromised, the voice is the first thing to go with it. So uh, it came to the point where we started a huge tour with. Def Leopard, and the band uh, now not, I don't recall if the soprano thing had happened just yet but the band w- was picking up steam and a- as a metaphor we this was this big old steam engine and it was going and I just couldn't keep up with it I physically I it, I just couldn't do it and the guys knew it and it was uh, we did a couple maybe five or six shows into the tour and we just figured okay it was it was a rough day, I'll give you that. Oh, I'm sure it was heartbreaking. But, I'm sure it was yeah, heartbreaking.
0: But, and yet today, fast forward, you're singing again. Tell
1: us what you're doing. Well, again, that last day, once we figured, okay, that's it, I have to tell you, it was a huge relief. I had a sigh of relief. I walked away and say, okay, let's see if we can't put this this little voice back together and um and give it the time and the attention that it should have had even years prior to that. So, um, that's exactly what I did. I went down uh, to... uh, Nashville has a fabulous doctor, Cleveland, in um, their Vanderbilt University Hospital. And he gave me the most simplest exercise to put this voice back together. And uh, it started out crawling and uh, he said well listen he, he handed me a guitar and he said listen um just pick any old song a song that you love to sing because at this point now i'm now i'm a frightened uh i'm a deer in the headlights mm-hmm. right i'm scared i don't want to sing again i don't want to go on stage again but he hands me a guitar and i think it would but belong to some like trisha yearwood or something like that some really amazing fabulous, successful country artist who gave it to him as a gift. He said, just think of any song that you really enjoy singing. And so I did. I picked it up. And the first song that came to mind was uh, Reason to Believe by one of my early heroes, Rod Stewart. Mm, Sure. And that was the first song to get me back on track, to get me back to where I wanted to be or where I... I think I should be. And that's singing again in front of folks and, and on stage. And- this is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we will be right back. And and, uh, where can people see you today, Steve? Well, this this summer is going to be special because Mr. Brett Michaels, uh, I received a phone call from him, and he invited me to do his um, incredible uh, Parti Gras 2023 uh, tour with Mark McGrath, of course, Brett Michaels and his band, with um, Night Ranger, and uh, Jefferson <laughs> Starship. Oh my God! So, so it's going to be amazing. It's going to be a great ride. going to be great. It's going to be great music, great personalities. Mark and the ultimate is Brett Michaels. this, I don't think there's. Uh, after James Brown, I think this is the entertainer of the century. We will be cheering you on. I am so
0: happy for you, and I am honored to, to meet you and hopefully to introduce you to our listeners who need to hear that there are a lot of stumbling blocks along the road to success. It's always, it's always a winding road. It's not
1: a straight one, is it? No. Uh, I could tell you one of my stumbling blocks that... I probably should have addressed a lot sooner, and uh, sadly, I, I I came from a, a one parent fam uh, household. My mom raised me because my dad drank a little bit too much, and they divorced when I was eight years old. And um, however, the. Uh, you know, that left an impression on me, and it, I thought I was supposed to grow up and drink just like Dad did, and just like all his peers and all my aunts and uncles. And, uh, you know, this was in the 60s, and everybody drank. You know, you came home, and it, the martini was waiting for you, etc. And, of course, the Rat Pack, where would they be if they didn't have a, a glass of scotch in there, a tumbler of scotch in their hand? Hmm. So um, I realized after my years with Journey... That if I'm going to sustain and if I'm going to get healthy, as healthy as I possibly could, I'm going to have to uh, put the bottle away. And so I've, I've uh, you know, I've probably drank my share <laughs> throughout the years. And uh, I can tell you eight years ago, I made a decision when my dad passed away to alcoholic related, had an alcohol. Mm, I'm sorry. Death. At 56, thank you. um, I said, well, at 56, I'm going to make his death won't be in vain. I'm going to stop drinking. So that's exactly what I did. And I can tell you guys who have ever and gals who've never or if you had a problem or it's the new black. All of a sudden, you know, it was it was it was like a fog had uh, lifted and uh, the haze had lifted, and it was, like, it was like being reborn. So that was a pretty good thing, and I wish I had done it sooner because sure, maybe sure. my big break at 38 might have happened at 28 or at 18 instead. But at 38, by the way, if you're singing and you st- or acting or doing anything, 38's when it happened for me, so don't give up early. You know, it oh, still can happen.
0: Steve. Thank you so much for sharing your
1: story. And
0: I, I'm going to go listen to that
1: concert again. From hey, I got a better idea. May I? I'd like to make a suggestion. Please take a look and give a listen to my brand new album, Seven Ways Till Sunday. That Absolutely. Just released. Uh, I think there's a little something for everybody. And I, more than anything, I, I hope you enjoy the new music, Seven Ways Till Sunday. I've enjoyed you and your story. I appreciate you, Uh, and vice versa. Thank you so much, Liz. Oh,
0: Steve, wonderful. Thank you. You guys, I hope that you heard that moment where he didn't believe in himself to go audition to be the lead singer of Journey, replacing Steve Perry, and yet he walked in there and he crushed it. This is something we all have to take and, and feed upon and realize, go for it. You got one life, Take that swipe at the brass ring and grab it. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will see you next time. Want to listen ad-free? You can do it with a Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And then Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.